We're going to be in John 1 this morning, um, so you can open your Bibles and turn there as you guys are getting settled. Actually, I would like to thank um, all of our Grace Place volunteers. Grace Place is our ministry towards uh, our kids, and they uh, the volunteers serve and love our kids, and it is such an important and impactful ministry um, as we teach the young people of our church um, who God is and how he loves them and cares for them and uh, give them the opportunity to hear the gospel at an early age that they might walk with him for a long, long time. So everybody that's involved in that ministry, thank you so much for loving and caring for our kids, um, not only as a pastor, but as a dad. Thank you so much uh, for loving and caring for our kids. If you are interested in uh, finding out more about Grace Place, getting involved in that ministry, um, we uh, have training, we have uh, information for you. Um, it's something that we would love to get you plugged into. As you guys have seen, if you're a regular member of CF, we got kids all over the place and they just keep coming and they're getting bigger and bigger and so we could always use more and more hands uh, in that ministry so if you are interested uh, like I said we'd love to get you plugged in let us know you can use the connect cards that are in the seat backs around you and uh, we'll get you plugged in and connected with Leslie um, obviously with the kids ministry there are things like background checks and safety trainings things like that um, to get you prepared for that ministry but we'd love to um, answer any questions and start those conversations so if you are interested at all please uh, let us know and Leslie will reach out to you. So um, as I said, we're going to be in John 1 this morning, continuing our study that we started at the beginning of this month in the book of John that you may believe, which is, of course, the main point. It is the whole end goal of this gospel of John. It is written so that the reader, whoever they may be, in whatever era they may be reading it, may be able to read these accounts and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. So last week we looked at the testimony of John the Baptist, the first of the seven major witnesses to the deity of Christ throughout the book. And today we see kind of the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. And when we talk about ministry, the thing about ministry is it's about people. It's about engaging with people, connecting and engaging with others. So Jesus has eternally been in community within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally in community together. And when he comes to earth, when he takes on flesh and God dwells among us, he continues being about community as he begins to draw people to himself to learn from him and grow with him. And so that's uh, what we're going to see this morning as we look at the beginnings of Jesus's ministry. So I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into John uh, 1 verse 35. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we come to you today looking, looking for you, looking for hope, looking for grace, looking for encouragement and challenge and life and all of the things, joy, love, all of the things that can be found in you, God. We come this morning looking for you, looking for stability and security. The Psalms say that you will set our feet on a rock, that you will make our steps secure. How we ask for that stability this morning, for that security this morning. Lord, we delight in you and in who you are and in your word. We know you are a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, abounding in grace and mercy. Have it in overflowing amounts. And you continuously pour that out to us. God, we thank you for who you are, for the ways that you have showed up in this community, and you continue to. Lord, this morning as we open your word, you have 
a reason for us being in this per, in this passage this morning. So God, I pray that you would help us to hear and see you as we open up your word. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in John 1, starting in verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus and he walked by as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. We jump into the beginning of Jesus' ministries, and we start by hearing from a trusted voice. It says, the next day, John is with his disciples. So timeline-wise, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, the way um, this has worked out is that we have, um, a couple of days ago, we have the messengers from the synagogue leaders confront John. John is out baptizing on the Jordan River, and some of the ministry, some of the synagogue leaders send some messengers, and they go asking, who are you? And John tells them, well, I'll tell you who I'm not. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. Who I am, I am the voice. And then it says the next day after that confrontation, John sees Jesus coming and proclaims Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John baptizes Jesus. And now here in verse 35, it says the next day. So again, we have, uh, so this is a few days after all those things have happened since the first one. So we are three days in, I guess, to the gospel of John. Jesus once again walks by. John is standing with his disciples. He sees Jesus and again declares, Behold, the Lamb of God. We've talked about this every week, and we will continue to talk about it every week as we study the book of John. John is all about chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one who would defeat sin and death and hell and Satan. And how does he do that? By going to the cross and becoming our sacrifice, becoming our sacrificial lamb. The Passover lamb whose blood was what God saw and saved the Israelites from death in Egypt during the final of the ten plagues. Jesus is for us the sacrificial lamb whose blood passes, allows God to pass over death from us. We don't need to deal with that because Christ died for us. Jesus is for us the sacrificial lamb offered on the day of atonement. A lamb would be sacrificed on that holy of holy days for the Israelite people, where a lamb would be sacrificed for the sins of all of the people, for all of the people of God. That is Christ for us. He is the ultimate and final sacrifice God's people would need. Justice would be carried out through the death of Jesus. He is for us the sacrificial lamb. When John says, behold, the lamb of God, he is saying Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these sacrifices, the thousands upon thousands of lambs who have been slaughtered in the synagogues and temples. Jesus is the final perfect sacrifice for us. He is our sacrificial lamb. 
This time when John says it, he declares, Behold the Lamb of God. There are two of John's disciples who hear this. And they think to themselves, Okay, well, we're following John. John's been teaching us, and John has been teaching us and telling us over and over again, somebody greater is coming. John has over and over again told us and prepared us that there was somebody greater coming, and he's been preparing things, and he has explicitly told us a bunch of times he's not the guy, that he's the preparer. And now, our guy John is pointing at Jesus and saying, nope, that's the guy. So these two disciples say, well, let's go follow him. The two disciples heard him say this, and they follow Jesus. There's a lot of things going on here. We have the humility of John once again on display. It would have been so easy for John to try and hoard his disciples to himself, to try and hoard his reputation, his influence, create for himself his own little kingdom where he's in charge, and look how impressive I am, and look how I'm baptizing all these people, and look at all the people who listen to me speak. But he doesn't do that. Continuously, over and over again, he's pointing people to Jesus. And here he says, that's the lamb. That's the one. And these two disciples leave John, and John doesn't try to stop them. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't try and distract them or dissuade them. They go, and he allows, and I'd even argue he encourages that to happen. Because he's humble enough to know, as we're going to see in John 3, when he says, Christ must increase, I must decrease. John understood his role. The humility of John is something that we can over and again come back to and be challenged and encouraged by. We see here John speaks a word, and we see the impact that a word from a trusted voice can have. The influence a trusted voice can have. A word from a trusted voice, a friend, and a relationship can change everything. These men trusted John. They loved John. They followed him. And because of the influence John had, because of the relationship and the respect he had with them, he changes their lives. And vicariously, he changes the lives of millions upon millions of people. Because these two men go follow Jesus, they become part of the 12 disciples. And they're going to be there at the beginning of the church. And they will lead thousands to become Christians. And you can trace it and trace it and trace it all the way back to right here. What we are doing here this morning, if we had the time and the resources, we could trace everything back to this conversation. John standing there with his disciples, pointing out Jesus and declaring he is the Lamb of God. We could point all of that and trace all of that back to what we're doing right here. A trusted word, a trusted voice can impact thousands upon thousands upon thousands. You see, what you do and what you say and the relationships you have matter. And they will continue to matter long after you are gone, long after I am gone. The impact that we have on this world can last for generations upon generations. These two men go and follow Jesus. And we've seen already as we've looked at this opening chapter of John, there's layers to what John is writing. Right, surface level read. If you just read the text straight through, they heard who Jesus was. Jesus is walking by. They follow him. They literally go walking after him. But the idea of following, especially when it comes to Jesus in John's gospel, it has a deeper meaning. To follow Jesus is something more than just literally walking behind him. 
It's to follow as a student followed a rabbi, as a servant followed his master. It's a transformational relationship. And John is once again planting these little seeds that are going to grow throughout the gospel. They followed him. Literally, they follow after him. But also, what they're doing here, what John is telling us, is these are the first steps. These are the first steps in pursuing Jesus and a relationship with him. And when you take those first couple of steps, when you go looking for Jesus, he will always make himself known. And so they take steps toward Jesus, and Jesus responds to them, and he responds with a question. Verse 38, he gives them a very direct question. What are you seeking? He says in verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? The first words recorded in this gospel of Jesus, this gospel that is dedicated to supporting the claim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It is a question that Jesus asks these two men and continues to ask even still today. It is one that we need to continuously wrestle with, one we need to continuously come back to. What are you seeking? What do you want? What are you looking for? Again, there's the surface level reading of this. Jesus is walking. Two guys who are followers of John are now following behind him, literally walking behind him. And so he turns around and says, what do you guys need? What's up? What, what, what are you looking for? But then there's the deeper things going on. See, they were following John, and John pointed, and John was pointing them to something greater, to someone greater. And now they're literally and spiritually taking their first steps to follow Jesus. What are you seeking? You guys took these steps. You guys are following me. You guys came after me. What is it that you want? What are you looking for? I have a friend who, um, I have a friend whose wife is uh, a very avid bird watcher. Um, so much so she's got, uh, you know, set up in the backyard to attract different kinds of birds and different feeders. Uh, and the last time I was over at their house, uh, my friend told me that there are binoculars in different strategic places in their house near different windows so that like if she's in a certain room like if she's putting laundry away or she's whatever and she see happens to see something out the window she can grab her binoculars and and watch the birds and so she's like always prepared always ready she knows what she's looking for she knows there are certain kinds of birds that are like native to their area and she um, but then there's some other ones that fly in different times of year, I guess. It's a whole thing. I don't, I don't know. She knows what she's looking for. She just doesn't know the when. She doesn't know when it's going to happen. And so she always wants to be prepared. She always wants to be ready. So she's got one of these pretty much scattered throughout the house at all times. She doesn't want to miss a moment. What are you looking for? This is the question, what am I seeking? What do I want? What is my actual heart's actual desire? And I think if we took a stronghold, if we just went out on the streets asking people, what do you want? What do you desire? 
My guess is most people would have, there'd be a variety of answers, things like happiness or peace or success or security. This question, this idea of chasing something, seeking after something, it's the question humans have been trying to answer for pretty much as long as we've been around. There is this thing within us, this longing and urge that we have been trying to satisfy basically since we got here. And I think that when you look throughout history and you look at the world, what we've learned is there's a lot of things that you can try and use to satisfy. Power, wealth, privilege, relationships, titles, just physical items, locations. There is no shortage of things to try and satisfy yourself with. But what we've learned over time is not a one of those things lasts. People get fired, money gets created and spent Relationships end, people die, rust and cracks and dirt happen. Nothing lasts. Everything in this world, everything that this world has to offer you is failing and temporary. Everything about this world, including you and I, is fading and failing. We are continually trying to satisfy an eternal and good longing within us with the finite and the just fine. And the problem with that way of living and that way of thinking is that what happens when those things fail you? What happens when those things let you down? When those things fall away? When, what happens when your peace, when your stability is built on your circumstances, on your situation, and that situation turns negative? Now your peace is gone. Everything about this world is temporary. Everything is on a countdown clock to extinction. You right now are closer to a time of death than you were when you woke up this morning. When the world offers you peace, offers you security and stability, it's offering you a mirage. It's not really there. And when it fails you, you'll be left wondering, now where am I and now what do I do? And our human instinct is to begin seeking and looking once again, trying to find this satisfaction in something else. Trusting in, putting your hope and faith and seeking after the things of this world is not only setting you up for failure, but is a distraction and a hindrance to putting your hope and praise in God, who is the only stable and eternal and good thing about this world. And you see, you can't do both. You either trust God or you don't. You can't have one foot on both sides. Psalmist writes in Psalm 146.5, Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessed is he whose help is God, because life will attack, life will distract and beat you down. It will get hard and messy and ugly at times. And when, not if, but when those things happen, Blessed are you when your help isn't based in the commas in your bank account or a person or a political party, but when your help is in the God who made all things, who keeps all things, who is the foundation and executor of justice. What are you seeking this morning? Jesus asked these two men, what are you looking for? What do you want? What's the real longing of your heart. And they respond to him with a word of reverence. 
Verse 38, they respond to the question and they say, Rabbi, which means teacher. John is helpful. He translated for those who don't speak Greek. Rabbi means teacher. Now, some of us, you might know rabbi. We use it. We hear it. And it's an official term for a leader of a Jewish synagogue, right? And at this point in history, rabbi was kind of in transition of becoming an official title. But it was still used kind of generically, teacher, leader, master. It's a word of reverence and respect. Because they haven't actually heard Jesus teach. John just pointed at the guy and said, that's the guy. They know the testimony of John. They trust John. And so out of respect, they call him rabbi. Rabbi, where are you staying? That's a weird answer to that question. Right? Jesus is walking along. He notices two guys following him. He turns around. What are you seeking? What do you want? And they respond, where are you staying? It's almost like they're trying to avoid the question from Jesus. Right? Maybe they knew. Maybe they knew in that moment he wasn't just asking them, why are you following me? But rather, he was speaking on an entirely different level. Maybe, they, maybe that went over their heads. Maybe, maybe they did understand, and that's why they try and change the question. Maybe they did understand he was talking about something much deeper than just walking down a street. And they wanted to go and have a more private conversation. But again, we got John planting these little seeds that are going to grow. Where are you staying? Where are you remaining? Where are you abiding? Relational, intimate, experiential relationship with Jesus. Abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, having that deep, consistent, constant relationship. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you can do great things. These men are basically replying to Jesus. John said, Jesus, we heard John tell us that you're the Lamb of God. Can we talk about that? Because <laughs> that's a big statement. We heard John say, you're the Lamb of God, that you're the one we've been waiting for. Can we go somewhere and talk about this? I feel like this is a conversation not meant for the middle of the street. Where can we go? Can we go to a safe place? Can we go and talk about this? They're inviting themselves over, inviting themselves into Jesus' life to learn from him. I highly recommend this strategy. Regardless of who you are and how long you've been a Christian, I encourage you, find brothers and sisters, find men and women who you respect and love and who you see, you observe their life and you see how they follow Christ. Find ways to go invite yourself into their life and be around them. Some of you know enough of my story to know I've been blessed to have people in my life who just left their doors open and they answered text messages and they returned phone calls and they let me just ask questions and be around and learn from them. I have been shaped and molded by a variety of different men and women who were willing to allow me to say, hey, I see something in you I want to learn from. Can we just hang? Can I just ask questions? Can I, can I, just, can I just be around you? Find people you can learn from. And I mean, for these guys at this time, there's no one better on earth than Jesus. Teacher, where are you staying? Can we talk? Can we learn from you? And how does Jesus respond? Verse 39. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day 
it was about the tenth hour. Jesus, we think there's something to be known. We think there's something about you. We think you're him. Can we follow you? Can we be with you? Can we learn from you? When you take those steps, when you ask those questions, when you ask them earnestly and honestly and humbly, and that's your desire to know God more, to learn from God more, he's going to show up and he's going to invite you. Come and see. Come be with me. Jesus invites them to the place he was staying, and they stayed with him the rest of the day. There's different ways to interpret the 10th hour based on different cultures and how they counted, like what time days started. Based on the way John uses time in the rest of the gospel, 10th hour is probably 4 p.m. I think there's a specific reason that point is made. I think this note of what time it is, I think that's a, it sticks out for a reason. It's a specific detail. If you go to verse 40, it says in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. So we know one of them is Andrew. We'll get to Andrew in a minute. Who's the other guy? We don't know. Many people think the other person not named here is the writer of the gospel himself. It's John. John, the brother of James, the son of Zebedee. Because you read John's gospel, he never actually addresses himself in the gospel. He's never really actually talked about directly. But I think this little detail here in verse 39 about what time it is, I think that's a clue that he's the other guy. For it was about the 10th hour. That's a detail of somebody who remembers, who this moment, this interaction, this time was important to him. It was one of those monumental points in his life. Because, I mean, how would somebody know what time it was, right? I mean, there's no watch. You don't pull out your phone to check what time it is back then. Getting, getting the actual time of day, it's a little trickier than it is for us today. But if this was a moment in your life that changed everything, you're probably going to figure out what time it is and take note of it. Right? I think you can ask a mom what time their children were born. They're going to give you the hour and the minute because that was a monumental, life-changing moment for them. In this room with Jesus, presumably John and Andrew, it was their first steps towards following Christ. And it's life-altering. But like I said, he's not the only guy in the room. We also have Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew also meets Jesus, and he has a very intentional response to meeting Jesus. See, when we read the Gospels, the Gospels aren't about the disciples, right? The Gospels are about Jesus. Even the book of Acts, it's not about the disciples. And so because these things are not actually about those guys, we get varying degrees of information regarding the 12 disciples, right? We know some better than others. Right? You have Judas, and for nefarious reasons, we know Judas. You have Peter, James, and John, the inner three, the inner circle of Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, he also writes one of the Gospels. Some of you might even be able to come up with the fact that there's a second Judas in the group, so that in the Gospels, there, uh, to distinguish the two of them, it's Judas Iscariot or Judas, the one who betrayed, betrays Jesus. Like That's how they tell them apart in the Gospels. And then you have somebody like Andrew. 
Remember we said the Gospel of John is written the latest of the four. And so by the time the Gospel of John is written, Simon Peter, Andrew's brother, is a big deal. He is a leader of the church. He has stood before officials and authorities declaring the deity of Jesus. He has been threatened. He has been jailed. He is a big deal, and he is a leader of the church. He has a reputation and influence that goes far beyond him. And so as time goes on, Andrew's world, I think, became when he would meet people. Hi, my name is Andrew. Andrew who? I'm Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Like that, that's his full name at, at times. When you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, Andrew's actually only talked about three times in the Gospel of John. Here in this passage, in the feeding of the 5,000, and then later on in John 12, there's a situation with some Greek people, and Andrew is involved in it. So he's only mentioned three times, and two out of those three times, it's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And the cool thing about all three of the instances where Andrew shows up is that Andrew, in all three of them, is helping bring people to Jesus. We have much to thank Andrew for. Now, we don't have a lot of intimate Jesus and Andrew moments recorded beyond this one in this opening chapter, but this one right here is important. And so Andrew and presumably John hang out with Jesus. It starts at 4 p.m., and it goes into the next day. They have a conversation. They talk. We obviously don't know. We don't have it recorded what they actually talk about. I'm sure it went deeper than the weather and who they thought was going to win the Super Bowl. What kind of coffee do you like to drink? Jesus came to proclaim the good news, to reveal the kingdom of God to people, and I assume that's what he did here with these two men. This conversation must have gone deeper than just time-killing chit-chat. And we can infer that because look at how Andrew responds. He has this time with Jesus. He spends the rest of the day and the evening with Jesus. And then he goes and he finds his brother Simon. Look at verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And then he brought him to Jesus. See, if you start looking at verse 40 and you go from 40 to 42, there's a process that happens. Andrew heard. It says in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he hears, and then he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So he heard, and then he found, and then verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. He heard, and then he found, and then he brought. Whatever it was that day that John, that Andrew and the other disciple and Jesus talk about, it did something to Andrew. It convinced him that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one the Israelites had been waiting for since forever. The one they had been promised since Adam and Eve bit into that fruit and God said, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of this serpent. The Israelites have been waiting for one. And Andrew spends the day, the evening with Jesus, and by the end of it, he is convinced Jesus is the one. His conclusion at the end of the conversation was, we found him. He's here. There's no more waiting. There's no more wondering. There's no more questioning or hoping. No more prophecies need to be happening. Simon, he's here. 
He heard and he experienced and he engaged with Jesus and he knew his life was changed. And he knew everything from that moment on was different. And his first reaction was, I got to tell somebody. And not just somebody, but I got to tell somebody I love and care about. So he goes to find Simon. He goes looking for an opportunity. He goes looking for his brother, it says in verse 41. He goes looking for an opportunity to share the good news that the Messiah had come, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world had shown up. He heard the good news, and his immediate reaction is to go tell somebody, go looking for somebody. That, and he didn't just tell him, right? He didn't just give information to Simon. He finds Simon, he tells him, we've found the Messiah, and then he brings him to Jesus. He intentionally sought out the opportunity to share what he experienced with Jesus. He didn't just wait till the next time and the next family get together, or if I happen to run into Simon, maybe I'll remember to tell him. Maybe if the opportunity arises and the perfect conversation happens in the perfect moment, then I'll tell him, no, he went looking for his brother and he finds him. It's an intentional response from Andrew. And he says, let's go together. Let's go do this together. I'll be with you. I want you to meet him. I want you to have the same experience I had. And so he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to meet face to face. So he so Simon could have his own experience. Is this us? We see a movie. We eat a good meal. We read a good book. And we immediately post about it. We share, we recommend, we leave our reviews. We tell others they should go and do it too. Go try it out for yourself. It's awesome. How quick we are to share recommendations of early earthly things. And yet, when it comes to the gospel, the most important thing, when it comes to salvation and eternity, when it comes to knowing Jesus, we come up with any number of different reasons and excuses as to why we can't, why we don't. I said it before, if we had the time and the resources, and maybe it's something we get to do in heaven, but there is a line, there is a thread that ties Andrew meeting Jesus telling his brother that carries out for 2,000-something years that gets us to here right now to you and me. There is a thread that carries from Andrew saying, Simon, we found him. Everything is new. Everything's been made different. The sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is here. There's a line that connects that conversation and Miss Griffin in my second grade class telling me the gospel and me getting saved. There's a line that takes from Andrew to you and that moment when God revealed the truth of the reality of the gospel in your heart and you were made new. There's a line that connects those things. You and your moment, that time when God revealed how gracious and good he is to you, is tied all the way back to this. And there will continue to be threads that get carried on and they happen when we share the gospel, when we tell others. Andrew heard it and he went looking for somebody. He didn't just wait. He went looking for an opportunity. And he didn't just tell him some information. Here's a bunch of stuff I know. Good luck figuring it out. 
No, he says, here's the most important information I have ever known in my entire life. Now let's do this together. I want to talk to you about this, and I want to walk with you in it. So let's go to Jesus together. Brothers and sisters, here's the blueprint. How does the church continue to grow? How does the gospel continue to go forward? How does our city get rebuilt on a foundation of grace and gospel love? How does reconciliation in this world happen? How do people go from being dead and trapped in their sins to alive and made new in Christ? You hear the gospel and you go looking for opportunities and you share and you walk with people in it. This is what we are to do. This is what we are to do as the call for Christians. And it should be that reality just based on the information itself. Hearing the gospel should change everything for us. It should drive and motivate us to go and share so others would have the same experience, would know that truth. I have a new appreciation for Andrew, constantly in his brother's shadow. But if people only realized that it was Andrew who took the steps, who was the catalyst to bring Peter to Jesus, it was Andrew who had his life changed by Jesus and didn't keep it to himself. But he went looking for an opportunity to share it with someone so that they too could meet Jesus. Man, would, may we have that same burden for our family and our friends and our strangers, the people who don't know the goodness of the gospel. Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. And Simon and Jesus have an intimate interaction. Verse 42. Now talk about a seed being planted that grows throughout the gospel. The relationship and development and growth of Peter throughout the gospels, really throughout the entire New Testament, is one that shows us what the gospel can and will do in our hearts and minds of the people who are willing to allow it to move and change us. Peter is our everyman. You study him long enough, you look at enough of the accounts of what he does in the Gospels and in the New Testament, and everybody can see a little bit of themselves in Peter. His walk with Christ is one of, it's one step forward, two steps back, and then he takes like a sideways step and he gets distracted. It's a lot of ups and downs, like Peter's gospel, you know, Peter's interactions with Jesus in the Gospels are these amazing mountaintop moments. And then he's buried deep down in the valley. He has these moments where he's with Jesus on the mountain, and it's the, the transfiguration. He sees Jesus in his full glory, and, and it says Peter speaks because he didn't know what else to do. He just had to say something. And he sees Jesus, and he declares, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And then just moments later, when Jesus is teaching about the cross and teaching about what's going to happen to him, that he's going to have to die. Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, maybe ixnay on the crucifixion, eh? Peter has these moments, ah, you get it, ah, you're right there. And then he has these other moments where it's, who gave Peter a sword? Why is he swinging it and cutting ears off? He's up and down, he's everywhere, and he, he's just him. He's humble and real and honest. But here, this is the beginning he comes face to face with Jesus. In verse 42, it's one of my favorite interactions in the Bible. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus looked at him. 
Again, we got layers of John's writing. Of course, Jesus looked at Simon. Andrew brings him to meet Jesus, probably introduced him. Hey, Jesus, this is my brother, Simon. So, of course, Jesus looked at him. Now, I don't do this to you guys often, but I'm going to do it today because I think it's important. In the Greek, there's a word. The word is blepo. Blepo means to look at, to see. I see you, you see me. There's another word called emblepo. Emblepo is to focus on, to think about deeply, to consider, to gaze on, to dwell on. In Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching us not to worry and to trust God, and he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he goes on, he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That look at the birds of the air and consider the lilies of the field, those are both emblepo. Think about this. Get it in your mind's eye. Picture it. Think about how a flower grows and and flourishes. Think about a bird and how it exists. And blepo, that's the word John uses to describe this moment. It's not a quick glance. It's not just that Jesus saw Simon and Simon saw Jesus. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, considering Simon, thinking deeply about him. All that he was, all the potential of what he could be, all of what he would become, all his positives and negatives, this is a moment. This is, if it was a movie, this is like everything else in the shot gets fuzzy and the only things that are clear are Jesus and Simon. Nothing else matters. Everything else goes away. Jesus looks deep into the heart of Simon. And after that, as he considers him, and this probably was just a second, but for Simon, I'll bet you it felt like an eternity. Jesus finally speaks and he says, you will be called Cephas, which is Peter. And once again, John gives us a translation. He gives us Peter, and that means rock. Jesus sees what he would make Peter into. He sees past all the character flaws, all the insecurities, all the impulsivity, and he sees the man that Peter would become. You have value and worth. You were created with a plan. God wants to grow you and shape you and see you used for great things to glorify him. All throughout the scriptures, we see God take ordinary people and call them to respond, invite them to be part of what he's doing, call them to be part of what he's doing on earth. And you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, I'm no Peter. God can't use me. I'm too messed up. I'm too broken. And I'm barely getting by. It's impressive I'm wearing pants today, Pastor Tim. You're right. You might not be Peter. But Peter isn't you. There are things that you can do to glorify God. People you can reach. Relationships. Ministry you can do that Peter was not equipped to do. And there is no one too broken. There is no one too messed up. To say that is to say that the cross wasn't big enough, that the cross wasn't enough, that Jesus' death wasn't enough to cover your sins. No, his death was more than enough. His death paid for your sins, every last one of them, the ones you have committed and the ones you have yet to commit. 
Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed us white as snow. God knows you. He knows all of you, the good and the bad. He knows you because he made you. He formed you. And even though he knows all of you, even the stuff that you know that you don't want anybody else to know, he knows that and he still loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. That by grace through faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, salvation is offered to you. A relationship with God as his child is offered to you. He loves you enough to want to include you in what he is doing on this earth. Calling people to himself, redeeming and restoring what has been broken by sin. He invites us to be part of that. God sees you. He's not just looking at you, but he sees into you. He sees what he can do in and through you, and it starts by responding to Jesus. Responding to his question. What are you seeking? What is the desire of your heart? What are you looking for to satisfy and bring peace and identity and purpose? What are you seeking after? Are you seeking after and pursuing and following Jesus? Or is your seeking focused on things of this world? And maybe it's time to refocus and reset your sights on Christ. And we got to respond to his question and respond to his invitation. Come and you will see. God is inviting you this morning to know him better to learn and grow and know him more and more. And in doing so, in doing so, you will know yourself more and more and find the abundant, overflowing life that he offers for us here, now, and in eternity. And as we do those things, man, my prayer is that we would catch the same drive and passion that Andrew had, that when we know Christ, that we would be people who intentionally go looking for opportunities to share our faith and bring others to meet Christ for themselves. That they might be changed by grace through faith in Jesus, who is Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to be in your word and to hear from you and be reminded of the life change that the gospel brings. God, for some of us, we've been walking with you. We've known you. We got saved a long time ago and been walking with you so long that the, the newness, the, the freshness, the excitement might have worn off. We read something like this and we're reminded taken back to those moments those, when it became real for us, when, when you stepped in and changed everything for us and the excitement and the heart and passion. God, would we give us a heart that re-remembers and rediscovers the gospel every day, that we might have that passion every day. That, like Andrew, we might re-remember the life-saving, life-changing, life-altering reality of you sending your son to die for us, and it, we can't contain it. We can't keep it to ourselves. we got to tell somebody.
And not only do we tell him, but we walk with him. You know, the God of community is a God of relationships. And you invite us to be part of those. You have made them, made us for them. God, give us a burden. Give us a desire to go looking for opportunities to share your goodness with others. To share your truth with others. God, for some of us this morning, we we hear your question. And you know what we're seeking. And for some of us, it's not what it should be. We've wandered, we've gotten distracted, we've gotten off track and gotten off path. God, would you help us to fix our eyes on you? To put blinders up to the rest of the world and fix our eyes on you. That we would seek after you with everything that we have, that in every interaction, every decision, every thought, we would be geared towards seeking you, knowing you more, and reflecting you to this world. God, you said that you have made us to be the lights of the world. The only way we can shine is if you're the one giving us the light, if we're reflecting your light to this world. God, help us to shine brightly as the lights of the world you have made us to be. We thank you and praise you. Amen.